Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. If you please open your Bibles for today's scripture reading. I'm not sure. Good morning. We have two scripture passages this morning. So if you want to turn to 2 Peter 3 and put your finger there, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We are going to jump around a little bit this morning, but those are our base texts. We're going to be in those two. Thank you for reading those, Nancy. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray and uh, ask for the Lord's help as we study together this morning. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. We thank you for our church, Lord. It's a joy to be part of uh, a community of your people, and we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for uh, Alert Minds, and we would ask you now to help us to look to you and to receive what you have for us. We pray you would encourage us this morning. Uh, challenge us, comfort us. You know what we need. And we would ask you now by your Holy Spirit to work through, uh, through me, frail servant that I am, to, uh, to accomplish your eternal purposes in each one of us. It's in Jesus' name we, we ask such a thing. Uh, amen. <clears throat> well, the, star- the, excuse me, the story goes that Albert Einstein was traveling one time by train, and he was on his way to give a lecture someplace, And this was long ago, long before electronic tickets and apps, all that kind of stuff. Back then, you had to have a paper ticket. You'd have a paper ticket, and that ticket would list 
most important thing was your destination, where you were going. And when the train got underway, the conductor would come through all of the cars and go to each person, and he'd kind of say, ticket please, ticket please. They'd take your ticket, he'd check your destination and punch it and, and uh, show that you were, you were all set and ready to go. And so he got to Einstein, the conductor was going through the cars, he got to Dr. Einstein, and uh, the brilliant scientist began to kind of go like this and starts rummaging through his pockets and gets a little nervous, he pops open his briefcase, he's rummaging around his briefcase, and uh, it's clear he, he can't find it, he can't find uh, his ticket. And uh, the conductor wasn't too surprised, he recognized him immediately, of course, Einstein was world famous at this point, but he was kind of known for being a little absent-minded, you know, so smart you can't remember the basics, that kind of thing. And, and so after a couple of seconds of this, or minute or whatever, and he, 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 he said, uh, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, we all know who you are, it's not a problem, everything's fine. Uh, I'm sure you bought a ticket. And, and he kept going. He's like, D don't worry about it. So he keeps going along, and he's checking all the different people. Take it, please. Take it, please. He gets to the end of the car. He looks back, and he sees uh, Albert Einstein down on his hands and knees. Right? This distinguished, world-famous scientist. He's down on his hands and knees looking underneath his seat, obviously for his ticket. He's trying to find his ticket. So, so the conductor goes back to Einstein, and he's like, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry about your ticket. I know who you are. And Einstein looks up from the floor and he says, uh, I know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> uh, this morning, I want to talk about where we're going. Uh, and not just where we're going, but I want to talk about where the whole world is going, where it's all headed. Uh, because that's what Peter wants to talk about. That's what Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, if you've been here uh, many Sundays this fall, you know that we're studying uh, 2 Peter and Jude this, this fall. That's what we're doing for about 10 weeks here in the, in the fall. 2 Peter and Jude, the two books go well together because they address a lot of the same themes. And so last week we finished uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. We spent a couple of weeks in that chapter, very intense chapter, a lot of intense stuff in there. And uh, the main focus of that chapter was false teachers and how to protect ourselves, how to identify, how to recognize, and then how to protect ourselves from, from false teaching and from false teachers. Uh, now as we get into the third chapter, and there's only three chapters in 2 Peter, now as we get into the third chapter, uh, Peter focuses in on a specific error, and you get the sense that a lot of chapter 2 set us up for chapter 3, because there's a specific false teaching that's being promoted that he's very concerned about. And it appears, and he doesn't go deep into the details, but it's pretty obvious that there were some in the early church who were saying Jesus was not going to come back. There, there's no return of Jesus. And you heard that. It's, I asked Nancy to stop where I did on purpose. I wanted you to have that verse 4 echoing in your ears. Where is this promise? Where is this promise of his coming? See, it had been more than 30 years at this point since the ascension. Right? That, it, when Jesus went up into heaven, it had been more than 30 years since that happened. Actually, it was closer to 40 if Peter wrote this letter when we think he did, kind of in the late 60s. And so almost 40 years. And, and some of the believers were getting antsy. I mean, 40 years, where is he? Where is, where is he? Where's Jesus? You apostles told us Jesus is going to come back. Well, what's, what's going on? What's the delay? Where is he? And I wonder if you've ever wondered that. You know, I wonder if you've struggled with the same thing I have. I mean, gosh, at this point, it's been almost 2,000 years. Where is he? What's the delay? We are going to answer that question next week, okay? <laughs> with many apologies for the bait and switch, but we are going to answer that question. 
but before we get, because that's the focus. You see, Peter, in this chapter 3, uh, especially verses 1 through 10, he's going to answer that question. But he doesn't talk a lot about the rest of the doctrine. And, and I was thinking about this, I was looking ahead a couple of weeks, and I thought, it's really, before we can talk about why is the return of Christ delayed, I think it's a useful thing to do to remind ourselves of what we believe about the return of Christ. And so a lot of you know this, and so it's review, but I love to review because I think review is good for our souls. But for some, maybe for some of you are like, yeah, what do we believe? What do we believe about the second coming of Jesus? And so that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to, to go through, uh, and, and we can't treat such an important doctrine comprehensively, but what I'd like to do is go over three of the most basic things we believe. Uh, so three core doctrines, three basic affirmations that that the scriptures teach and that we believe about the return of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at those. We'll get that foundation settled, reaffirmed in our minds this morning. And then next week we'll come back and we'll go more systematically with Peter through those first 10 verses of chapter 3 and answer the question, so why do we still have to wait? Why hasn't he come back yet? What's, what's, what's the delay? So, so let's look at these three core things. Let's get started with that. Number one, the first one, the uh, first thing we believe about the return of Jesus Christ is that he will return physically. It is a physical thing. So the ascension into heaven that we read about in Acts 1, uh, that is not the end of the story. Jesus is going to come back physically. And there's a couple of aspects of that physical return that really need to be highlighted. And you might have noticed this morning, if, you, if you're a bulletin outline kind of a person, you might have noticed this week we printed, um, I believe we printed the, the um, Statement of Faith, our, our Statement of Faith Articles 9 and 10. So the two that deal with last things, end times sort of stuff. Um, are those on there? They are, right? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I never checked this morning, but I know I, it was what the, how it should have been. So, uh, so that's in there. So you can look at that. You can say, I, I'm not going to go through every line of that, but that's kind of what I'm working from with some of the basic affirmations. And, and so two things I want to highlight about this physical return. The first is that it's, it's personal. It's, it's personal. Uh, Jesus is going to come back in person. And you see that in, in uh, that Acts text. I, I, it's Acts, 9, uh, Acts 1, verses 9 through 11 specifically. And so you, you have Jesus, he goes up into heaven, and uh, the disciples, and I love it, it's, it's, it's at least the 12, but it might be actually the 11. They haven't appointed Matthias yet. But you've got the 11, but it's actually, I think it's a larger group of people. It's probably more like that, the 120 that are going to be in the room when the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost. But whatever it is, it's, it's the core group of disciples. They're standing there. Jesus says, you know, go into the world, make disciples. And then he, he ascends into heaven. And, and they're standing there gawking. <laughs> you know, they're just looking up like, what, what just happened? And while they're doing that, an angel appears to them, kind of you know, taps them on the shoulder, as it were, and says, you know, why are you gawking? He's going to come back the same way you just saw him go up. He's going to come back the very same way. And so they had just watched him literally, physically, personally go up into heaven. They saw it with their own eyes, back to that theme, and the angel says he's coming back the same way, right? So there's a, an affirmation there. He will come back literally, physically, and in person. He's not just going to come back in, in the presence of the church spread throughout the world or something like that. He's going to come back in person. We see this in First Thessalonians as well, another important uh, important scripture text. First, Thess First Thessalonians 4 and 5 are important for this doctrine. Uh, verse 16, specifically, uh, Paul writes that the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel, 
and with the trumpet call of God. And so again, the Lord himself will descend. So it's not his ghost, right? It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. Uh, it's, it's, it's separate from Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's going to descend, but that's not what he's talking about. The Lord himself is going to come. Uh, he's not going to send angels in his stead. Angels will come with him, but he's not going to send them in his place. It's not going to be a Zoom call. You know, I, I, Jesus, can you turn up the volume a little bit? You're breaking up a little bit. You know, it's not going to be some sort of virtual thing. We'll see him himself. We'll see him with our own eyes is, is what Paul is saying there. And we, we talked about this, if you connect it back to, to 2 Peter. Remember, this is a, an important theme for Peter in chapter 1, where he's emphasizing how he, as an apostle, uh, had that unique privilege, unique for that generation, of, of seeing Jesus personally. And so when, they, when he and his fellow apostles record the New Testament scriptures, uh, they, they are recording from personal experience. This is one of the reasons we can trust their, their testimony. It's not the only one, but it's one of the big ones he emphasizes in chapter 1. Uh, he, he, remember, he says, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we were there when he did the miracles, we heard the teachings and the sermons with our own eyes, we saw him when he died on the cross. We saw it when he came out of the, when he, when he rose victoriously from the dead. We saw all this. And we don't have that, right? We talked about that in chapter one, and we kind of live with that reality. We, uh, we, we haven't seen him with our own eyes, right? We're, we're, we're the people that Jesus talked about in John chapter 20. John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that's us, right? We haven't seen him uh, with our eyes, but someday we will. Right? That's a core affirmation of our faith. Uh, we, we're not worshiping kind of some hero from the past who inspires us. We're worshiping the Lord and Savior who we will see. We will see him with our own eyes, just like the apostles did, just like that first generation. I love what Job says. Most people don't connect this verse to the second coming, but I think we should. Uh, it's Job chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. Uh, in the midst of his pain and his suffering, out comes this expression of hope. And I think Job is looking all the way to the last day. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I think he's looking ahead to the resurrection of the body. Uh, I, I, in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Job says. It'll be personal. We will see Jesus. His physical return will be personal. We will see him ourselves. The other aspect of the physical return that uh, bears emphasis is that it can happen at any time. And so I'm going to use the word unexpected. It will be unexpected. The return of Jesus will be at a time when we do not expect. Uh, there's actually a technical term for this, for those who like technical terms. The term is imminency. Uh, or we use you know, the word imminent, it is imminent, and that word means that it could happen at any time, and so we uh, talk about the imminency of the return of Christ. Uh, and, and what that means is that there's nothing else that must happen. And, and I know there's, uh, very, there's some nuanced distinctions of, of different perspectives on uh, signs that need to happen, but I think the right way to understand those signs, regardless of your position on things like the timing of the tribulation and all that sort of stuff, um, the, the affirmation of Scripture has to be in all of those systems, whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. If you don't know what any of that means, don't worry about it. We're not going to go into it today. But whatever your system is, the, the core affirmation is that Jesus could come back at any time. He's not stuck waiting for us to do something. Right? There, there will be signs, 
but signs are tricky, right? Signs can be missed, signs can be misinterpreted, and so uh, even as we watch for signs of the end times, we still affirm that Jesus could come back at any time. That's the, the, a core affirmation of the scriptures, and we affirm it in our statement of faith. Um, where do we see it in scripture? Well, one of the, the key ones, I'll read a couple of these, but I love this one. First Thessalonians 5, verse 2. Paul tells us, uh, you know, so he's just told us about the trumpet sound and the return of Christ and the, the, we call it the rapture of, of the saints. Uh, he says, when's that going to happen? That's going to happen on a day. Uh, he says this, verse 2, the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And the point of that, that word picture is that it'll come suddenly and unexpectedly because that's how thieves come. Jesus used it too. Jesus used the same language. Paul's picking up on stuff Jesus said. Uh, thieves come suddenly and unexpectedly. If thieves told you when they were coming, they, they wouldn't be very good thieves, right? I mean, imagine you're going through your mail on Saturday morning. You kind of let it stack up for, you know, for a couple of days. You're going through it and there's a postcard. Hi, I'm a thief. I'm going to come to your house on Tuesday night. Tuesday at 1.23, your house is on the list, um, just so you know. All right, what would you do? <laughs> You'd be sitting there waiting for the thief at 1.23, right? With your, your uh, favorite defensive weapon of choice, or maybe better, a, a police officer, uh, waiting for that thief when he showed up. I mean, that's the whole point. Thieves don't tell you when they're going to come. Uh, they come unexpectedly. And that's the picture Scripture chooses to use for the return of Jesus. The point, the point isn't that Jesus is a thief, all right, Jesus isn't a bad guy trying to break into our house. He's the good guy breaking into our house, uh, as it were. Uh, but, but so the point isn't he's, he's a thief. The point is that it'll come with that same element of unannounced surprise. The return of Jesus will come with that same element of unannounced surprise, which is why Jesus says the things he says. So Matthew 24, verse 42 Jesus is preaching a sermon actually about his return. And in verse 42 of Matthew 24, he says, Therefore, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Uh, similar thing in Mark 13, 32. No one knows about that day or hour, Jesus says. So be alert. <laughs> be on your guard. You do not know when that time will come. <clears throat> and so it will be unexpected. This affects the way uh, we live, right? It's very important, and you can see why. Uh, you will appreciate it more next week when we go through the verses, but you can see why Peter is so concerned about this doctrine being undermined, right? I mean, we'd be tempted to say, eh, so what? You know, what they believe about Jesus is coming, or it doesn't really matter. As long as they got the cross down, that's fine. But, but Peter understands, right? He, Peter knows very well that, that if we don't think Christ is coming back, we're going to try to game the system, right? We're, we're just not going to live it out. And so this should absolutely, this doctrine is meant to change the way we live, especially to motivate us to be ready. It's meant to motivate us to be ready. We should live each day. We should live each day as if that's the day when Jesus might come back, that this day might be the day, the day of Christ's return. And so what that does is it gives us another reason to be faithful, another reason. You know, I mean, we all live, we do, we live with the... Uh, the uh, the imminency of death, right? None of us knows when our time might come. But if we're tempted to take that one and say, well, I'm feeling pretty healthy today. I'm not going to drive anywhere. I should be okay. Uh, well, uh, there's also the possibility that Christ might return today. And so that motivates us to faithfulness. It motivates us to holiness. It helps us make righteous decisions to turn from evil, to turn to good. So, so many of these things we talk about in the scriptures, uh, this could be the day. This could be the day. So be ready. So Jesus will return physically. When he does, it will be personal, and, and it'll come at a time when we do not expect it. Number two, 
Second thing uh, we believe, core thing we believe about the return of Jesus is that he will reign gloriously. And both of those words are important and they go together. He will reign, so he will rule, he will govern, and he will do so gloriously, not half-heartedly or ineffectively (laughs) or over something small, but gloriously. Jesus will reign gloriously when he returns. Now, of course, there's a sense in which, you've, you've read your scriptures, there's a sense in which Jesus is already reigning gloriously. Right? That's what he was ascending to when he ascended into heaven. Uh, where did he go? Uh, he went to the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus, right now, if you say, where's Jesus? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, governing, reigning over uh, the creation. And he does that from heaven at the right hand of the Father. And, and so that, that's true. So what's the difference? What's going to happen when he returns? Well, what's going to happen is that that reign comes to earth explicitly and in person, right? So physically in person. So Jesus will reign physically, personally on the earth when he returns. And that then, and again, we could go down into these details that goes into this, uh, however you understand the millennium, and then uh, the new heavens and the new earth ultimately, where he, he reigns over all of that. But it's no longer in heaven. Now that the, the, the prayer of the Our Father, the Lord's prayer, is answered at that point. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come here. Thy will be done here as it is in heaven. It's there in heaven now. And in, at, at his return, that finally, in the fullness of it, is answered as his return, his reign comes here. And so, we, again, we, we do, we talk about the doctrine of the millennium, and there are some different, um, and this is a good example of that, those secondary things we talked about a few weeks ago, when we talked about, you know, um, we, we affirm the doctrine of the millennium, I'm premillennial if anybody cares to know, but you don't have to be premillennial to be part of our church. Um, the, the core affirmation of the millennium the most important affirmation of it, whatever one's position on the timing of it, is this right here. What's the doctrine of the millennium mean? What it means is that Jesus reigns gloriously. Jesus reigns gloriously when he returns. That's what the scriptures emphasize. Matthew 25, uh, verse 31. It's that same sermon I quoted before. That Jesus, it's a long sermon he preaches, Matthew 24, 25. Uh, later in that sermon, verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, what will happen? Then he will sit on his glorious throne. And that throne is for two things. It's for judging. It's a throne of judgment we see in the scriptures, and it's a throne of governance. So he's going to reign gloriously. Uh, Luke 9, 26, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father. When Jesus comes, he comes with glory. He, he kind of uh, snuck in last time, almost like a secret agent, right? And we'll celebrate that at Christmas time. Uh, but the, he's not sneaking in the second time. The second time he comes in the fullness of glory. Uh, Romans 8 is another one. Romans 8, 18 so uh, Paul talks about it. A wonderful verse. We don't always connect this one with the second coming either, but I think we should. Uh, Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When's that glory going to be revealed, Paul? Well, when Jesus comes back. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, he will reign in glory, and all of the, the sufferings and the smallness and the hard things we've faced in this life will just, it's like a light bulb burning out. They won't even show up in the light of his glory. So why does that matter? How does that uh, help us? Why, why, why is Peter going to fight so hard to defend this doctrine in chapter 3? What's, what's it matter? Well, the answer is lordship. 
Right? Why does it matter that Jesus will reign gloriously on the earth when he returns? Well, it matters because of lordship now. Right? That's what the Bible's teaching on the end times comes down to, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder where, where things are headed? You probably, you probably do, right? You, you, you wonder sometimes, how is it all going to end? Right? Is it nuclear annihilation? Right? That one's back on the table these days, thanks to Vladimir Putin making some, some threats in Ukraine. You know, is, are we, is that it? Is that how the world ends? Everything blows up in, in fire? Is it ecological disaster? Everything melts and we're all swimming around like that old Kevin Costner movie, Waterworld or something. Is that how it all ends? Does Yellowstone blow up? Does aliens invade? How does it all end? Well, the scriptures say it all ends with lordship. It all ends with lordship. Every, it all ends with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord when he comes to earth and sets up his glorious eternal reign. And so that doctrine does a couple things for us. One is it encourages us. It encourages us. It gives us hope. It's why our statement of faith, the E-Free statement of faith, the Evangelical Free Church's statement of faith, calls this our blessed hope. It's, it's, how, uh, it's in Article 9. This is our blessed hope. It's because our hope for the future is not based on humanity's ability to make the world right. Right? It's not the scientists. I love scientists. They're great. But it's not the scientists. It's not the leaders. It's not anybody. They're not going to make the world right. It's Christ. It's Jesus. He's the one who's going to make the world right. He's our hope. And that's why the second coming, we talk about it as the blessed hope. Years ago, I, I've, I think I told this story about 12 years ago, so if it's familiar, that's why. But I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Years ago, uh, there was a missionary teaching a, a class in Africa. So he's a missionary teaching a Bible class to, to, to pastors, like pastors and leaders in, in the African church. And he was going through different books of the Bible, and he, had, he was in the middle of First Thessalonians. He was working through First Thessalonians with these men. And he had just done the verse I just quoted, right? The Lord himself will descend with a shout. The Lord himself will descend with a loud command. And, and one of the students raised his hand and, and he said, uh, Reverend, what will he shout? What will he say, right? What will the command be when Jesus comes back? And uh, the, the, the teacher, the missionary's first thought was to say, well, we don't know because the text doesn't say, right? The text doesn't say what he's going to shout and we shouldn't speculate about things we don't know. And so his first thought was to say, well, we don't know. But then he paused and he thought for a minute. And he thought about uh, the, the, the awful things he had seen. Some of the awful, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things too, but he thought of some of the awful things he'd seen in his years as a missionary in Africa. And things that his students knew very well. They knew firsthand from their own life there. He, he thought of the poverty. He thought of the famine. He thought of the diseases, the wars, the abuses of power, all of that stuff. He thought of that stuff for a moment. And he said, enough enough. Jesus will shout enough when he returns. Enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and famine and disease. Enough. It encourages us. It encourages us. He is the answer. The other thing the glorious reign of Jesus does for us is it does challenge us. It challenges us too. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about a minute ago in the first point. If Jesus is going to reign over everything for all of eternity, well, what about me? 
what about my life now, right? I mean, if, if that's where everything's headed, everything is going to bow its knee to Jesus and submit to his lordship, well, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Um, does he, I, I need to examine my own life today, right? Does, does he reign over, over my life, over my finances, over my relationships, over my marriage, over if you're, if you're dating, if you're dating, or if you're dating, over, uh, over our sexuality, over our identity? Uh, does he reign over how we use the resources that we, ha- that we have? Does, does he reign over those things? Does he reign over the pleasures and the treasures of our hearts? That's an important part of this doctrine, too. So it encourages us, it gives us hope for the future, it also challenges us uh, here, it challenges us in the, in the here and now as we think about this. Again, that's going to be one of the very practical reasons why Peter cannot let this, this uh, teaching that Jesus isn't coming back, he can't let that stand, because if he does, all kinds of libertinism breaks out, which is apparently what was happening in that setting. So it challenges us in the, in the present, and it gives us hope for the future. Finally, uh, the third thing, number three, that we, uh, the core teaching, again, these aren't, this isn't comprehensive, these aren't all the things we believe, but uh, one of the core things we believe about the return of Jesus is that when he comes, he will raise us eternally. He will raise us to new life. When Jesus comes back, he will raise, uh, he will raise to life. He will raise from the dead every person, and it is every person who has ever lived. Which means, not only does the destiny of the world, which we talked about a minute ago, right? not only does the destiny of the world lie with Jesus, but the destiny of every individual person, every human being, every man and woman, boy and girl, everyone who's ever lived, their destiny, our destiny, also lies with Jesus. We call this the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Right? We, it's, it's, it's in number 10. It's more uh, statement number 10 uh, in our statement of faith. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Uh, and it is a core belief. And you talk about non-negotiables, stuff that, that we, we fight over, uh, that we would disfellowship over. Somebody is going to deny this. this is a, you can't deny this one. It's why it's in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed says, We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Death is not the end of the story. Nicene Creed puts it this way. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Our own statement of faith puts it like this. Uh, We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. The Bible talks about this at length. I was just going to take you to one passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. You can read the whole chapter. I was just going to cite a couple of the verses, but the whole chapter is on the importance of the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. Uh, Paul says in uh, verse 42, he's he's talking about the the physical resurrection. He says, uh, so it will be, let let me say this, in the verses before this, he actually uses the illustration of a seed, and he says you put a seed, right? So we put a kernel of corn in the ground, uh, you're not going to get an apple tree, right? You're going to uh, get corn. You plant corn, you get corn. You plant wheat, you get wheat. Uh, and so there's a, but it sure doesn't look like that kernel of corn. You put kernel of corn in the ground, you end up with this, you know, eight foot, 10 foot tall plant. You're like, how did that come from that? Well, that's the mystery. That's, and Paul uses that mystery to describe what the resurrection body is like. And so he says, verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that's sown, sown in the ground like a seed, is perishable. And we see that every time we, we go to a funeral, every time somebody dies, the body is perishable. But that body that's sown is going to be raised 
imperishable. It's, it's, it's like, right? It's, the, it's, it's like it, the way a corn stalk is like a kernel, uh, but it's very different, right? It's different. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. It has this eternal quality that's now going to live forever. And when's that going to happen? It happens when Jesus comes back. It happens when Jesus returns. Verse 52 in that same chapter, for the trumpet will sound. It's the same trumpet that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be transformed. And so when Christ returns, he will raise he will raise us to new life eternally with him. And, and it'll be, I mean, we, we look forward to this, right? It won't be these broken down bodies, these frail bodies uh, with prone to weakness, tiredness over time, sin, pain, aging, all those things. All that's left behind. And what we'll have instead are these imperishable, eternal, glorious. Uh, he actually uses the word glory too, uh, glorious, eternal bodies even as he reigns victoriously, as he reigns gloriously. We will live with him forever. Uh, Laura and I attended a funeral uh, last Tuesday. We were out in uh, Chicago, actually. It was a family funeral. Um, My brother-in-law's father-in-law, so it was that side of the family. My brother-in-law's father-in-law passed away, and we'd gotten to know them uh, a little bit, that side of the family, over the years through different holidays, family celebrations, that sort of stuff. So so we we were able to go out to, to the funeral. Uh, the man who passed, his name was Nick, and uh, Nick was a very interesting man. He had lived a long, interesting life. He'd actually uh, immigrated to America, so it's like one of those great American success stories. Um, probably 50 more years ago, he had immigrated from Greece to the United States, settled in Chicago, and raised his family there, and that's my sister-in-law, is one of his daughters. And so, uh, you know, American, raised his kids American, and uh, lived his, most of his life there. Um, I said they came from Greece, and they are Greek Orthodox. That side of the family is, is Greek Orthodox. And so the funeral was a, uh, a Greek Orthodox funeral, which I had never been to a Greek Orthodox funeral. It was a very beautiful service, very, very different, um, but, but very beautiful. I was, kind of felt privileged to be there. And so we, we had that service, and then afterwards we went to the cemetery where Nick was laid to rest, and uh, we were kind of distant family, so we were way in the back. So I didn't see personally what I'm about to tell you, but my sister-in-law was telling us afterwards, and she gave me permission to share this. Um, when, when the family arrived at the, at the cemetery, kind of ahead of everybody else, like you do with a big crowd like that, um, there was some confusion. There was some confusion when they, when they first got to the cemetery. And uh, to appreciate why it was confusion, I need to tell you this. When a, when a Greek Orthodox person is buried, uh, he is always laid to rest facing east. And, and it's very important in their tradition that the body is laid to rest in such a way that, uh, that when resurrection day comes, the person will sit up or stand up and see Jesus. Because the, there's a, scripture, a couple of scripture passages which use this metaphor of Christ returning in the east. And, and so they, 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 it's, it's very important in Greek Orthodoxy that you would be laid to rest so that when the resurrection happens, you're, you're ready. You're looking at Jesus. That's, that's how they do it. And that's the part where the confusion happened. Uh, and so my, my sister-in-law told us that uh, somehow things got confused. And I don't know if it's funeral home staff or cemetery staff, but whatever it was, somehow things got confused. And they were gonna, they had the casket the wrong way. And they'd kind of moved it in the position and it was, everything was facing, it was backwards basically. And Nick was gonna be laid to rest facing west. So when resurrection day came, he was gonna be facing the wrong way. And, and here's the part I love, I love this. 
Nick's wife, her name is Kathy, the, the bereaved widow, Kathy, 57 years they were married, Kathy made them fix it. And it made a little bit of fuss, a little bit of trouble and kind of extra work. And I, like I said, I didn't see it, but I imagine the pallbearers, everybody had to kind of do a turn, something like that. Uh, it was a bit of trouble, but she said, this one's way too important for you guys to do this one wrong, right? You've got to do it right. He's got to be facing the right way. And I was thinking about it afterwards. You know, you could say, you know, well, what's the big, big deal? But I was thinking about it. That's the kind of thing you do when you really believe it. Right? When you really believe that Jesus is coming back someday, when you really believe he's going to shout enough or come forth or whatever it is he's going to say, when you really believe that the day is coming, the day is coming when Jesus is going to raise you from the dead, it affects the way you do things now. Right? When you really believe something, it changes the way you live. And, and the takeaway is not that we all have to be laid to rest facing east. I, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, if it ever comes to that, point me in that direction, please. But, but that's not the point. He, he'll turn you around real quick if, if you're facing the wrong way. Uh, that, that's not the point of my little story. The point of the story is it, it's not just words in a book. Right? When we talk about the second coming of Jesus, it's, it's not just words printed on the back of the bulletin, oh, that's our statement of faith. It, it's not just words. It's, it's, it's transformative. Right? When you really believe Jesus is coming back, it changes not just the way we're laid to rest, but even more important than that, it changes the way we live. That's why it's so important in Second Peter, and that's why we'll, we'll talk about that next week, why it's so important to, uh, to defend and understand that doctrine the right way. So would you please uh, pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for our blessed hope. I thank you uh, that we live uh, with the certainty, the sureness in our souls that uh, that someday all will be well, that someday you will come back, you will put an end to all of the brokenness and the injustice and the sin and the, the rebellion, including even our own, the own sin which persists in our, our hearts and that Romans 7 struggle against sin that we continue to wrestle with. Uh, but even bigger than that, you will, you will set up your glorious reign over, over all the earth. We look forward to that day. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen our conviction on this front, that you would uh, help us to really appreciate the, the promise of the blessed hope and to live our lives out in light of it, not only in light of uh, the reality of, of someday our own death, but in light of the reality that this could be the day. Today could be the day. Tomorrow could be the day. Maybe it's 100 years from now, but maybe it's this Tuesday. The day is coming when you will come back. Help us to live in light of that blessed hope. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.